Hour two. Big Show, Russick and Rose. Sportsnet 960, the fan, live from Doug Lacey's Basement Systems. Downtown studio, bottom of the hour. Charles Davis, NFL on CBS, will join us. Week 18, almost upon us. Lots of sexy matchups, including for all the marbles in the AFC East between the Bills and Dolphins from Miami on Sunday night. Football and the Cobra will slither his way into studio in the 8 o'clock hour. Uh, Mr. Brent Cron, Big Show Flames analyst. Uh, talk about the uh, the win over the Philadelphia Flyers on New Year's Eve and look ahead to the matchup with the Minnesota Wild tonight in Minnesota. We'll have it for you live right here. Puck drop just after 6 o'clock on Sportsnet 960, the fan. Um, it's our first show of 2024. Super excited. Um, lots of, you know what I just thought of? It's the third year we've been on the air. Isn't that crazy? I guess. Yeah, sure. Like, we started in 22. Yeah, I made my third, uh, the folder, like, in my breakdowns on my computers. Like, I have 2022, yeah. 2023. I owe, I made a 2024 one. Well, we made it. Yeah, and our show's only, like, a year and a bit old. Yeah, it's pretty a good. A year and, like, two months. Mm-hmm. Anyway, nobody cares about that. Um, what we do care about is uh, Flames New Year's Eve. Or New Year's resolutions mm-hmm. for your Calgary Flames. We've been taking your text messages. We'll play those for Brent Cron to wrap up the show. Okay. Keep them rolling in at 960 because I'd like to hear the Cobra's take on some of the New Year's resolutions for the Calgary Flames. Um, Maddie, yeah. what is your New Year's resolution for the Calgary Flames? My New Year's resolution. Let's check your score again. Oh boy, uh, my, two nothing checks. Yeah, it's not good. Two minutes left in the first period. Um, my New Year's resolution for the Flames, like there, there's a lot of things that I've actually liked about the team lately. The penalty kill has been strong. I, th- I think that for what the overall goal of the season should be, I think that they're humming right along as f- as far as kind of keeping in pace with that. Um, your resolution should be. tough because you're trying to find something to change yeah like i'm trying to find something to change but i also but i'm also trying to be realistic like okay yeah jonathan huberto should have more points like yes that's an easy one no problem have more points if you're jonathan huberto that's pretty simple if you're Andrew Bonjapani, maybe take less penalties <laughs> that out of the box. put you shorthanded in, in bad situations jacob markstrom continue to do what you've been doing if you're damn vladar you got to try and get yourself some more starts, but how are you going to do that? Like, the biggest thing that I'm looking for for the Flames over this next little while is guys that are probably going to get traded, continue to raise your draft stock, and continue to make more and more teams interested in your services for the next little while and see what happens after the deadline. That's, that's kind of how I'm looking at the season right now. So if there's a, a, a resolution, a New Year's resolution per se, something that, that they should change maybe more 60 minute consistent efforts but i feel like i'm pulling at straws here Hmm. i think when it comes to this year's edition of the flames i don't think i don't think effort has been an issue right no No, i don't think that's been an issue at all for this the, the calgary flames uh this season I think they've been. I think they've been playing hard 
for head coach Brian Huska. I just think sometimes with the Flames, the lack of really high-end skill talent shows through. Like, again, Huberto is a guy that should be producing a lot more than he actually is, but it's something we've talked about since I've been here is the Flames really don't have too many guys who, who are just pure finishers. They had one last season in Tyler Toffoli, and, and Sharon Govich has kind of cooled off a little bit here uh, lately when it comes to goal scoring. But I think that's one glaring weakness the Calgary Flames do have is just the lack of finish, Matty. Well, yeah, but what's the resolution there? Uh, that that's no score more goals. That's no. That's nothing new. That's not a resolution. That's my point here. Is that okay? Go get more talent. Okay, sick. Thanks. Really appreciate all your analysis there. We all like, love more like, talent. Yeah, everyone wants more talent. How do you do it? Well, you get it in the draft, and this team, like we've talked about, they're not going to be bottom five by the end of the year. I don't think their goaltender is going to allow them above all else. And so, okay, you're going to get... Like, here's how I see this season going. Here's, this is how I think the ideal flame season goes is over the next few months, they play, you know, slightly above 500 hockey to keep themselves, you know, maybe around the hunt. But the biggest thing overall is that all these players that you have been thinking about trading continue to play well. The results are what the results will be. And in the end, you trade everybody at the trade deadline. I, or everybody or most of or as many as you can possibly trade without getting rinsed by somebody at the final hour, you do that. And then in the final you know, month and a half uh, after the March 8th trade deadline, going into you know, that last bit of March, the, the, the first half of April, try and win as many games as you can with the group that's left and try and get into the postseason. Because at that point, you're probably going to be maybe, what, 20th in the NHL? The bottom of the West is wide open. I would rather you win a couple of games and move from you know, 15th into the 20th draft selection spot. And you go from there. And, and after this season, the team's probably not going to be as good, and you can really start thinking about maybe some top five picks in the, year, in the draft years after that. But that's kind of how I see this season going, and, and, and that's, I think, what the, what the goal should be for the team. Continue to play well because you want guys like Connor Zary and, and other players when they get called up. You know, your Pospisils, Pelche when he returns, your Matt Coronado. You want them to be winning games and feeling good about themselves. I know... Losing and, and trying to get talent in the draft is, is one thing, but we've also seen a lot of guys that go very high in the draft that don't end up playing in the NHL or not being that talented and, and whatever ends up happening. So that's just the way that I look at it. I don't think this is a draft like Macklin Celebrini, sure, but you're not going to get Macklin Celebrini unless you know, win the lottery is like a nine seed. So I don't know. That's how I'm looking at this team. That's how I'm looking at the rest of the year. Patrick, what's your New Year's resolution for the Calgary Flames? It's kind of going to piggyback off Maddie's. Is just just figure out what you are as a team. Like, what do you want to do? Do you still want to be at this January second, twenty twenty five? Do you still want to be eleventh, fighting? Like, where do you, you need to figure out what you're going to do? And I think you'll you, you have to figure out that sooner rather than later. And to Maddie's point, Tanev, Hannafin, keep playing the way you are. You guys are doing great. That stock keeps on rising. Lindholm, there's the guy I worry about a little bit. What is that type of return? Because we heard the new rumored number of $9 million last week. That's probably not what anybody wants to pay the guy the way he's playing right now. So you have to figure out what you want to do as identity as a team going forward. If it's 
playing these young guys, if Jacob Pelche is a couple weeks, a few weeks away from getting back on the ice here and, and getting into a role with the Wranglers and then back to the big club, it's, it's about trying to find out what you have in this youth because right now I don't want to keep doing this next year and the year after that, like, hey, we're six points out of a playoff spot or one point up into a playoff spot. It's, it's just not fun, fun radio talking about this thing anymore. You need to pick a way you want to go, and it can't be the mushy middle. That should be the resolution for this year. Shan, what's your New Year's resolution for the Calgary Flames? Can I say Jonathan Huberto? I'm just kidding. I, I I wasn't thinking about it, but it, like you need to get the top guys going. There's you're seeing Diego Sharangovich start to make this somewhat of a top line, but I don't think this team will have any success unless you actually have a solidified first line. So, I, I Lindholm Lindholm's probably going to have to go, and if you can get a young guy that has potential to be a top line guy, that that should be their resolution. Um, mine is. For the love of Christmas and New Year's and all the holidays wrapped into one, uh, please at least get into the top 20 power plays in the NHL. It's hard to watch. Like, they're they're 29th right now, operating at just 12.3%. Only the Flyers, Blues, and Capitals are worse. And it's just something that continues to be a sore spot. It's just, I feel like the power play all season has been a giant momentum killer for the Calgary Flames, and it just they can't figure this thing out, and it's been super frustrating. I think that's the number one thing. It's like, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put down the beers, I'm gonna put down the slice of pizza, I'm gonna get to the gym, and I'm gonna live clean, I'm gonna live right, and lose those lbs because I really need to get this power play sorted out because it continues to be the biggest point of frustration. Well, for me, anyways. Maddie, how this team just struggles. And not only do they yeah. struggle on the power play, they just struggle getting into the zone. Like the zone entries are even just hard to watch at times I, for this team. I don't think it's as bad as it was. I think that we've seen some considerable improvement over the last couple of weeks. They did score power play goals in three straight games before that game against Philly, and they only had two opportunities in it. Um, granted, it took them, you know, what is it, 17? They were 3-for-17 in those three games prior. So, yeah, you should score at least one goal there. But it goes back to, you know, the overarching point, right? Like, when I look at this power play, I we've talked about it a lot, George. It misses a lot of things that I think a lot of the modern power plays like to have. A one-timer opportunity on the left side. They don't have that. That's where their best passer typically is in Jonathan Huberdeau. Their one-timer is on the other side of the ice, which just... It's just straight up is not nearly as dangerous when you're trying to shoot it at the glove side versus the blocker side of a netminder. So you, you don't have that. If you want to call Rasmus Anderson a power play quarterback, you can, and I think he's having one of his better years back there, but he's not a Eric Carlson, a Miro Haskinen. He's not one of a Kale McCarr. He's Quinn Hughes. He's not one of those type of guys necessarily. You, you've got a whole bunch of guys who have some good hockey talent and like Blake Coleman leading the team in points. Like, yeah, that that's how that that just encapsulates what this team does offensively. Blake Coleman's having an outstanding year. He shouldn't be leading your team in points, even with the year that he's having right now. He's getting power play time as well. So, listen, they just don't have the same options that a lot of other teams do. The power play is a work in progress. Like we talked about it the week that uh, just just after you left there with PK, but I do feel like we've gotten to the point where Mark Savard now understands. Okay, these are my pieces to use. This is the skill sets that they excel at. This is the place that I want them to be. And now that they've stopped trying to force Jonathan Huberto onto that first unit, I actually kind of like how things have started to gel together. That group that has 
Lindholm and Caudry and Zary and Sharon Govich and Anderson, I think that they've had some good movement lately. So I don't know. I, I think the power play is starting to turn. I don't think it's going to finish in the top 15 because I just don't think that they have the horses to get there. But I've, I, I've seen some improvement from Mark Savard, and I just think that part of it is now he understands the weapons that he has available to him and can kind of put them in different places to succeed. Uh, I think it's going to be fascinating uh, for the Calgary Flames, and it's something you mentioned uh, earlier. Like the the West seems like there's a there's playoff spots to be had uh, in the wild card. Yeah, I know I know the Kraken have won five straight, the Oilers have won five straight, but uh, again, it it feels like a playoff spot potentially could be attainable here for the Calgary Flames, and maybe they they follow suit with what the Predators did, and maybe that's the best case scenario if you're a Flames fan. You trade the big pieces, you get a lot in return and prospects and picks, and your team is tooth and nail to make it to the playoffs this season. I think that potentially could be best-case scenario for the Flames. Heaven forbid trading those big guys and getting into the playoffs would even be a double bonus if you're the Calgary Flames. The to get one guys thing like, I would just say on the Predators' front is that I do not want them to go out and sign a whole bunch of middling free agents after trading everybody away like Nashville did because I don't know, like, what are you now? I, I you, You've got I don't Ryan. even think that's on. You got Ryan O'Reilly and you got Luke Shen. You essentially and... became the Nashville Predators again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They did. They yeah. <laughs> they Gust, just Gustav Nyquist. I'm like, what? Adding by you, subtracting. Why did you get these guys? Yeah, weird. It's um, I I just don't think that's on Craig Conroy's radar to do no, something like I, that. I agree, but I just if we're gonna compare it to Nashville, I just thought it was pertinent to mention. All right. Um, Keep them rolling in. 960, 960. Your Flames New Year's resolution. Uh, we'll play some of those for Brent Cron, the Cobra, joining us at 8 o'clock. Uh, straight ahead, uh, one of our favorites, Charles Davis, NFL on CBS analyst. Um, lots going on. Uh, the Chiefs beat Maddie's Bengals. Oh, by the way, what's the, uh, real quick here, what's the standings? Uh, for the uh, the football picks, Patrick? Do you have those uh, readily available? Uh, not it's ready. It's been but... a while. Yeah, big bets. Up. Uh, we got Matt. Uh, Maddie went uh, three and three this week. Okay. Uh, George went four and two. I went Ooh. four and two. Uh, PK's bonus picks went one and five. <laughs> okay. um, Maddie is so he's uh, poison. So he- PK's poison. Yeah. Heading into the final week of the year, Matt has a sixty-two thirty-eight and two record. Uh, I have a fifty-two forty-seven and three record. And George, you are forty-nine fifty-one and two. Okay, so I'm almost above the Mendoza line. Almost there. And uh, we go all the way to the Super Bowl. Yeah, we got all the way to the Super Bowl. I had a good five and one week the week prior to kind of get me back, but it's been a tough month. December was not very kind to the kid. I will say that much. You know, when you're this many games above five hundred, you know, three and three is a not a okay, good week for right, me. Okay. <laughs> all right. Um, I also I also love the fact that Peter Klein co-hosts this show sometimes, and he's like my pokeroo. I'm like I've heard of him. <laughs> I, yeah, I, yeah, like you two have never show. been in the room at the same time because <laughs> yeah, 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 hundred percent. Like, Does he actually exist? Yeah, he's either been a guest or yeah, he's filling in for you. Because when, when I'm here. away, Patty just Patty just does double duty. It's just the easiest. Yeah, because he's a stud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I tell Art, I go, I don't need anybody. I got Patty with me. <laughs> he's a stud. <laughs> it's fine. Thank you. Look at him You're run. Welcome. No, it is Look busy down. Run. It is busy down here downtown Calgary. Everybody's back working. 
All right. That's not good. A lot of movers and shakers. Yeah, All right. I guess. Hobnobbing. Here's the train. Cobra. Charles Davis next. It's the big show. Russick and Rose. Sportsnet 960. The fan. Live from Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. It's the big show. Russick and Rose. Sportsnet 960. The fan at the top of the hour. Our big show Flames analyst, the Cobra, Mr. Brent Cron. Talk about that win over the Flyers. Tee up the game against the Minnesota Wild tonight. We'll have it for you right here on Sportsnet 960. Puck drop just after 6. But right now, for the first time in 2024, Charles Davis, NFL analyst on CBS, brought to you by Tom's House of Pizza. Pizza made to perfection with locations in Calgary and Okotoks. Mr. Davis, Happy New Year. How are you? Happy New Year to all of you and everyone who can hear our voices. Let's make 2024 our best year yet. Yeah, I, I love that. Uh, I love that sentiment right off the top here uh, from Charles Davis. Um, we usually don't talk college football when you jump on, but just kind of wanted to get your yeah. thoughts on that on that fourth down play call by the Crimson Tide last night in overtime. Yeah, I didn't understand it, and I know Coach Saban. You know, this is what we use as a two-point play that we feel very comfortable with. The ball's in the exact same spot. You'd run a two-point play. But I don't what, – what, what, what threw me was – at first I thought the snap threw him off and he just ran forward because the snap threw him off. And then I heard Coach Saban's explanation, no, that was the play we had on. I don't want a quarterback with his movement skills turning into a power runner when all my chips are in the middle of the table. Hmm. <laughs> I want to get him – to where creativity might come into play and there are options. Like in the movie Miracle, Herb Brooks was always talking to his players about it. We do this, we do this, we do that. What's that give us, boys? Options. I want options. There's no option on a power run. That's just that's right. just how I saw it. Yeah. You know, and it's real easy. You know, I, listen, I realize I'm in the cheap seats. I get all that. But I also know that I've been in there too, so I, I don't feel like it's it's out of out of bounds for me to say I would have disagreed with that call right from the beginning. Like, hold on a second now, let me get this straight. I'm gonna have my quarterback, who's not Cam Newton size, become a battering ram fullback against a defensive front that's known for their physicality on the biggest play of the game, and this is all I've got. Don't get it. Um, if you're a handful of Chargers fans on this planet, Charles, um, are you rooting uh, for Michigan to get it done in Houston next week to potentially lead the way for Jim Harbaugh going, you know what, I've brought you a national championship in Michigan. It's time for me to return to the National Football League. I'll put it to you this way. If the Chargers deem him their guy, he doesn't have to win the national championship. He'd go. Do you think it wouldn't be unfinished business with him? He he's already done no. enough to say, "Hey, I've I've brought you to the title game. I've I've changed this program. I've returned it to its glory." Okay. I don't think I don't think in his heart of hearts that's where his unfinished business is. His unfinished business in the NFL. I think that's what he sees as the ultimate goal. And again. I'm not friends with him. I don't hang with him. We've not sat down and had a deep discussion. We've not even had a shallow discussion, you know, other than when he was the head coach of the 49ers and I called games of his and you did the production meetings with him. And trust me on this, those were not deep discussions. Okay. You didn't get into a whole lot. All right. So 
this is just me observing from the outside. If if all these flirtations and dances with the NFL over the years while at Michigan, if Michigan was the spot, I got to get it done first, he wouldn't have been dancing with people all along the way. Okay. I think the unfinished business was losing to his brother in the Super Bowl. Because mm-hmm. to me, he sees the Super Bowl trophy as the ultimate thing in, in football. A national title, terrific. But the Super Bowl, that's what he's in it for. Again, just one person's opinion. Is is he the best candidate out there, though, Charles, for that job potentially? Or just in general? Like, is there a better candidate than Jim Harbaugh right now? I think the guy in Detroit, Ben Johnson, with the way that he runs offense and what you've got to do in, in, in with the Chargers and making sure that quarterback is taken care of and you have consistency, there could be an argument made for him. There probably could be an argument made a few other places, maybe some places where people have very good jobs and are sitting coaches and could move there. But, look, Jim Harbaugh, when you take the record and just put it out there, Everywhere he's been, <laughs> things get better. Things get better in a hurry. And as long as he's there, they stay good. The last year with the 49ers, I almost give it a throwaway because he wanted out of there and they wanted him out of there. <laughs> so it was just a, you know, both sides mutually agree. We don't want to be with each other anymore. But you remember, we took over the 49ers team, and it was at a time frame where, God, what's going on with this, blah, blah, blah. And they were in the mm-hmm. NFC Championship game for his first two years. Mm-hmm. I mean, just whammo. He made Alex Smith or helped make Alex Smith viable because I never want to take the credit away from the player. The player has to do the work. But somehow he and Alex Smith meshed perfectly. And then he had the, 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 the chutzpah to bench Alex Smith and go to Colin Kaepernick when they were rolling. I think it's going to be one of the all-timers. You have to look it up, but I think I'm in the neighborhood. When he benched Alex Smith, and meaning bench, but Alex got hurt, and then he put in Kaepernick and never went back to Alex Smith. Alex Smith got hurt in a game that he was 18 of 19 throwing the ball, and he never went back to him, and they, and they went to a Super Bowl. You know what that takes as a coach? to have that kind of conviction to go. It kind of reminded me of when, when Belichick went with Brady after Bledsoe got hurt and never turned back because he could have. He could have said, hey, I got to go to the veteran. You know, you're young. Thanks for keeping me going. But he realized that was his guy. And, in fact, remember, Brady got hurt in the AFC Championship game in the first quarter, and Bledsoe carried him home, and the speculation immediately arose. Hey, Bledsoe, is he going to be your guy in the Super Bowl now? you back to him. And Belichick, if I remember correctly, Coach Belichick was at the president. He just went, no. And that was it. He was all in on Tom Brady, and he was right, obviously. But it takes some conviction because you have those options there that look pretty good and are good. And I got to give Harbaugh credit for that. Look, he won at the University of San Diego and gave us Josh Johnson, who's still in the league. So all those things swirling around, it's hard to say that he wouldn't be a great candidate based on the record. So, so you know, I can understand why they would want to go in that direction. And obviously you'd understand why he'd be interested because the chance to coach Justin Herbert, that would be very attractive to any coach. Charles, let's go from Jim's squad to John's squad. You had the Ravens and you had the Dolphins this past week on the uh, broadcast. 
And Lamar Jackson has yeah. essentially wrapped up the MVP race at this point. <laughs> Did you learn anything more about the Ravens? Because now they've knocked off both the 49ers and the Dolphins in, in recent memory. I've learned that this, remember when, when COVID came through, and let's be honest about it, at no point do you say, boy, here was the positive of COVID, right? I mean, it's just, <laughs> I don't know how we could ever make that into to a sentence. But when people have to change things and change the way you do things, sometimes you find a different way to get it done. The NFL, member expanded practice squad rosters during that time because you're always worried about guys testing positive and not being able to play, so you want to have yeah. a bigger pool of guys. Well, we've, we have not shrank the practice squad roster since. They've left it. And what has happened is the smartest teams figured out very quickly – it's not just a practice squad roster. Make it part of your roster. So the practice squad guys should be in every meeting you have. They should get reps in during, on the practice field. They should know your offense and defense and special teams inside and out so that when you have to elevate them on game day, you're elevating, but you're not elevating out of desperation. You're just elevating because, okay, guys hurt. You know what to do. Get in there and play. You've actually been out there and done it. I think the next step for the NFL to really help the game out is to take away the number of um, practice squad elevations. Because right now there's a cap on it, and then you have to make a decision about whether he's on your 53 or not. I would just go ahead and eliminate that one to keep this pool alive. And the reason I bring that up is at one point in the ball game, when the game was still kind of you know rocking along and, and Miami still viable was viable to make a play and, and make some plays and get back in it, I was looking at the secondary of Baltimore, and I was seeing a lot of second and third string guys because they had a bunch of injuries, a lot of attrition. Remember, Kyle Hamilton, the safety, didn't play. Um, Starting corner, Brandon Stevens, did not even play. And then as you're looking up, Arthur Mollett's making plays. He's been a backup special teams guy his entire career. He was making plenty of plays. Rocky Asin, who they, they signed, hoping he would compete for the starting job, did not play well, and was buried as their third corner. And I think had been inactive a few times. Guess what? He played the bulk of the ball game and played pretty darn well. Mm. And I think a lot of that goes back to how do you utilize your practice squad? How do you utilize the depth of your team? Make them a full part of it so that in case something goes haywire, when they go running out there, everyone's not putting their hands over their face and, and going, oh, Lord. You're like, okay, you've been out there. You've had reps. You know what to do. Now go play. And they did. They never looked back on it. So that's the biggest thing I learned. The other part is very simply, that Miami team is a good football team. But we've got two examples now of here's, how, here's, here's what Miami has to answer. If you take that first Buffalo game, and obviously they're going to play them again Sunday night for the division title, right? Mm-hmm. In Buffalo. Remember how big a game that was in the early season? Yeah. Remember how that game started? Flat out track meet, both squads, right? Zoom, 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 zoom. And then Buffalo took charge, seized it by the throat, and Miami couldn't get anything going, and they won big. This game was an exact carbon copy, <laughs> if, you, if you look at it that way. And the crazy part was I actually punched up the Miami-Buffalo Miami game in my prep last week because I thought the, the, the situation was, was similar. Mm-hmm. Stakes how big a game it was, style of play, and it played out that way. 
Like the thing for the Dolphins here, their season, they started so good offensively. We were talking about them being in the Super Bowl for sure. What needs to happen for this team over the next six weeks to have it considered a successful season? Just given the roller coaster that we've seen from being one of the favorites to a team that loses to the other favorites. They need to win Sunday night and have as much home field as possible. They're a different team at home taking on people. It's no accident the one win that they have against teams 500 or better came at home. It's against Dallas. They're one in four on the season against teams 500 and better. I think a lot of it is, if I break it down to why I think they, they, they don't beat these other teams, the flash and dash is there. We know that. You could, they, can, they can intimidate people with their speed and knock them off their game. But if teams get their balance and their footing – and make them have to start making plays consistently, not a play that goes 40, 50, 60, but plays that go 8 and 10, 7, you know, 5 and 7, and you have to keep doing it over and over and over, it's a little bit different slog for them. They are definitely built to be much more of a wide-open team. Make it basketball, make it hockey. Remember the Edmonton Oilers back in the day? They used, remember when they would take penalties on purpose to open up the ice mm-hmm. so they could go 4 on 4? Okay, because that's how it worked better for them. And the league was like, okay, we got to work on this a little bit. These guys are smarter than we are. Hmm. All right, basketball, fast break team versus half court slog teams. Miami's the fast break team. But you put them in a half court where they have to make the extra pass, they have to do stuff. It's harder on them. And Baltimore, after the early flurry, they turned them into a half court team, and you saw the result. Charles Davis, analyst uh, for the NFL on CBS. Uh, thanks to Tom's House of Pizza, Big Show, Russick and Rose. Sports at 960, The Fan. Charles, I've been thinking about this all weekend, uh, just to ask you this question. Outside of Patrick Mahomes, who are you taking over Lamar Jackson right now as your franchise quarterback? Hmm. Listen, it's, it, that's a tough one because I'm into a recency thing. I just saw him, <laughs> so it's really hard. But the, the argument and the question is a legitimate one because you're going to have to sit down and do pros and cons all the way through. I think what would be easier for us is, okay, what quarterbacks would be in the argument? Because mm. it'd be real easy to say I'd say no one, the way Lamar is playing, because my point during the ball game is we're not just watching him have a great season. He's an improved player. Let's get some credit for that. All the things that people hurled at him about not being a pocket guy and he's a runaround guy and he's this. I can pop on the game Sunday and show you where that improvement has come. How he manipulates a pocket, how he keeps a play alive, and he doesn't just take off and run, but then a receiver pops open and he hits him now. Whereas you and I know two years ago, heck, his MVP season, he would have exited and gone. His numbers for this year are not going to be the same, but I would dare say he's a better player. And know what else has come along with him? The receivers of Baltimore. Now, do their numbers add up to what we have with Miami? Because remember, Waddle didn't play. But Miami came into the game with a 1,000-yard runner, Mostert, who didn't play. Waddle and, and Tyreek Hill are 1,000-yard receivers. Waddle didn't play. And, to, and two is a 4,000-yard quarterback. That's a heck of a group right there, right? Lamar's going to have all of his numbers, but everyone else is going to have much more of a sprinkling. But guess what? They're all capable of making plays. 
Odell Beckham made a catch that we were used to seeing, right? Isaiah likely has stepped in big at tight end for them with Andrews out, so he's filled that role quite well, even though Andrews is an all-pro tight end, and you wouldn't say that he's better than Andrews, but he's filled it in more than capably. They're running the football with authority, even though they won't have a 1,000-yard back. And last but not least, I thought Rashad Bateman's development at receiver will really be big for them down the stretch. He's a first-round receiver that they haven't gotten out of what they've needed. He's been hurt, dinged, whatever, hasn't been able to practice. Now he's adding consistency. And he dropped the first big one. Okay, it was a tough catch, and he didn't hold it through the ground. The rest of the game he made plays. Lamar Jackson is just going to use those guys. So it's really Lamar and a committee, but I think the committee's better than it's been in the past. So, uh, so, so it would be hard for me to say, who would I take over him? Would it be Josh Allen? Hmm. You know, Herbert, it can't be Herbert right now. So we'd have to go through all this point by point and examine it. But I think you'd be hard-pressed to take anyone over him the way he's playing now. And I do think he is an improved player. And all the stuff people want to hurl at him, I feel like you're stuck in two years ago. You got you to gotta watch what's in front of you right now. He's better. Charles, this weekend, um, actually, before I get there, uh, which game do you have this weekend? We ended up getting um, Philadelphia at the Giants. So, Ooh. you know, I'm still trying to work my way through what it all means, but I think it means <laughs> if Philadelphia wins, they win the division. Okay. Uh, I, I think w- that's what we've come down on, right? I think so. I wanted to ask you about the Browns game as they're going to play the Bengals. Now, the Browns are locked into the fifth yeah. seed. They're going to be going on the road in the postseason to face whoever wins the AFC South. How much should Joe Flacco play in this final week of the regular season? With as many injury issues as the Browns have had this year, just enough to get a taste if you play them at all. But I do think you're going to play them. I think that they are in a stage where they have a, a, a good feel about who they are. They like what they're doing. If a guy has any real issues, you don't play him in this game. But I think you give him some snaps, you know, maybe a quarter, things of that nature. Because it's interesting. I'm going to give you a quick, quick comparison. When we sat with Lamar Jackson this week and we talked about going into the playoffs and the chance of them locking up the number one seed and maybe not playing the next week, he said, I can't get 2019 out of my head. We did all of that. And he said, remember, we had the number one seed, so we were off the first week, but we didn't play the last week of the season because we'd already locked it up. So we sat for two weeks before we played, and then they came out flat against Tennessee and didn't play well. He told us point straight up. He said, I don't think we want to do that again. So Baltimore would be interested to see what they do in giving them a smattering. I do think a lot of teams have, have come around to the idea of we're going to play it out because for whatever reason, it seems that we keep our, our motor running better that way. But I do know you got to be careful and judicious about it. If a guy has a real injury and you're worried, you don't play him. But otherwise, I think you give him a taste. But Kevin Stefanski is going to be like a hawk on this one because what he's navigated through all year long to be in the position they're in, he's got to still continue to be careful because it's absolutely amazing with the number of lost players they've had, lost time, and legitimate good players that are not playing for him, yet they're in this position. It's pretty sensational what they've done. Got to ask you about Russell Wilson as well. Uh, benched for this injury clause in his contract. It has turned very ugly. It sounds like he's going to be released at the end of the season. 
Uh, I have so many questions on this. Like, how would you describe his yeah. tenure? Where can he go? Can you still win with Russell <laughs> Wilson? What's the dollar going to be? But I think we'll start with the first one. How would you describe his tenure in Denver? Disappointing at best. At best. I mean, you don't make that kind of a move. All that draft capital, all that money, you know, let's ride slogans and not even make the playoffs either year. Yeah. No, it's disappointing at best. And, and you know, I guess that's the best way. That's what you say in polite company. Coming from a Southern school, the University of Tennessee, you know, the Southern expression, when they want to insult you but be nice about it, it's always, oh, oh, tough time in Denver. Yeah. Bless his heart. Yeah. When you say bless his heart, that means, boy, was he bad. <laughs> bless his heart. He went out there and he gave it a good try, hey? Wow. How'd he, it be? Oh, he, uh, you, know, you, know, you, you know, they didn't win as many games they wanted, but that young man competed. He played hard. Bless his heart. And bless his heart means, oh, that was awful. I mean, that's just... That's just a Southern way of really being nice about it. And look, if Russell Wilson were sitting here, and you guys know me, I always talk about when I say these things, people might want to take a swing at me. I get it. But I don't think he would. Mm. I think he would look at me, and the competitor he is, if I said disappointing at best, I don't know that he would dispute me because he's in it to win. They didn't win. Charles, does it feel like this postseason specifically for the NFL feels like the most wide open in years? It is. It absolutely is. You know, we 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 don't, as you mentioned, we don't talk college football. When you go back to figuring out who the four teams were in the college football playoff, no matter how you sliced it this year, you were going to get something wrong, I thought, as a committee. Okay? I just thought that they had an almost impossible task because – you're going to leave out Florida State and penalize them because their quarterback got hurt. I don't know that that felt fair to me when Ohio State won a national title a few years ago with a backup quarterback. Okay? So, hey, you're not going to even let them compete? I don't know that that felt right to me. Okay? But you have it in your bylaws. You can do it. Okay, cool. So you're going to take Alabama, who won a three-point game over Georgia, who hadn't lost a game in three years, and now Alabama truly is better than Georgia? I don't think so. Okay, I'm sorry. Look, Alabama played Michigan tough yesterday. But to me, Georgia should have been in the Final Four. But that's just how it goes. Someone was going to be disappointed and left out. In this case, we're not talking about who's left out. It's to your point, who is that team? And that that's a constantly shifting bar right now. I mean, a, 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 a flagpole right now, right? Because three weeks ago, two weeks ago, on this show, did I not say the San Francisco 49 is the best team in the NFL? Yeah. I did. I know I yep. did because I said it on air when I was watching against the Arizona Cardinals. And then Baltimore comes in town on Christmas night and smacks them around like nobody's business. Yeah. By the end of the game, the stars of San Francisco weren't even playing. And I'm not saying, you know, that he tapped out, but it was that type of a night that the score was so big that you're going to get guys out. You don't need this anymore. So the best team has to be Baltimore, right? And then I looked during the season, where were Baltimore's losses? At home to Indianapolis at a time when we thought Indianapolis was not that good. Now, give them credit. They look like a playoff team now, right? They got a chance to pick. Then the next one was Pittsburgh. Controlled the game for 58, 59 minutes and let it go down the stretch. All of their losses have been late for no real good reason. (laughs) 
So you always know, hey, they may be the team, but guess what? People have stung them late. And then, as you said, the rest of the AFC, normally you say Kansas City. Have you watched Kansas City over the last month? Are you convinced that Kansas City is going to be able to get off the deck and be Kansas City? I don't think so. I think they're going to be a tough team to play against because you're always worried about Mahomes. Maybe the receivers might actually catch the ball, and their defense is the best it's been in the tenure there with Spagnuolo and Andy Reid. So they're in ball games, but their explosive quality doesn't feel like it's there. So guess what? You're in the game with Kansas City, whereas before they might swamp you. So that's right. I think it's wide open. San Francisco, to me, is still the best in the NFC. Okay, Dallas, Detroit, everyone else still have things to prove. I still think San Francisco is the best. And Purdy, horrible game against Baltimore. Did you see him last? Did you see him in this one? Mm-hmm. The kids shook it off, bounced back like big-time quarterbacks do. And I just think they're the best team when they have all their components in place. And in the NFC, Baltimore is the best in the AFC. But does that mean they both will get there? I think you're right. This is the kind of year where it could be darn near anyone. Charles, I know there is a a just incredible amount of playoff scenarios heading into Week 18. Can the NFL somehow, yeah. some way? I know. We've I, got, I got, the... real quick. I got a page. I got a page set to. I got a thing set to me this morning. They had the yeah. playoff scenarios, and I printed it off before I went to work out. I think it was still printing when I got back. So anyway, <laughs> that's, that's that's where we are in playoff scenarios. I love it. Um, it, it's the it's those great NFL commercials where they have the script writers and they talk about what's going to potentially happen. Can they please just write in yeah. a Lions and Rams playoff game, please, please, please? Wouldn't that be fun? Oh, man. Wouldn't it be fun? I mean, it'd be a blast. And by the way, who had the Rams making the playoffs in preseason? Nobody. Nobody. I really think nobody, right? I, I may have told you this before, and I'll be real quick on it. One of my good friends works in Rams administration, okay? He's, 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 he's a big timer there, involved with a lot of different things. We talked in preseason, and I said to him, I said, you know something? I think Sean McVay is going to have more fun coaching this year than he's had in recent years. You won't have the angst, should I coach, should I broadcast? I think he's going to enjoy this team because it's all brand new. Now, he's going to tear his hair out at times because there's all these rookies and, and, and new people and moving parts. But I think he's going to enjoy coaching this team. And he said, yeah. He said, we're not good enough to even think about playoffs, but we got a chance to mold ourselves into something where down the road we can get better. I talked to him two days ago. I said, did you really think that you'd be a playoff team? He said, no, we, we didn't. He said, but boy, Sean had a blast coaching this year. And, and he did. Sometimes when you, you know, that unknown and you have all these, these, these hungry people who want to play, it reminded me of Seattle when the Legion of Boom had exited out all those great veteran players who won the Super Bowl and, and should have won a second one. They finally were pretty much gone, save Bobby Wagner, essentially. And all these young, fresh-faced kids, Pete got the chance to coach again. Because when the Legion of Boom and those guys were there, he wasn't coaching. Mm-hmm. Every day he'd come into his office and they'd be like, Pete, we got to talk. This is messed up. This is this. This is that. And he's like, oh, God. And now he's actually can tell kids what to do and they would actually do it. And remember everyone predicted disaster that first year? I predicted playoffs and everybody thought I was crazy. They made the playoffs that year. He got to coach again. Sean McVay had a similar situation minus – 
the angst and vitriol that, that, that Pete had in Seattle with that group that was exiting. Charles Davis, analyst for the NFL on CBS. Charles, it's always a pleasure. Uh, it's going to be super fun. Thanks for this. We'll talk to you next week, and all the best in 24. Thanks a lot, guys. And on the way out the door, the Detroit situation with the officials and all, mm-hmm. yeah. as you keep examining it, as you keep examining it, remember this. Remember what I'm telling you right now, okay? okay. Mm-hmm. Both, sides were, both, both sides were at fault. Because Dan Campbell tried to pull a fast one at the end. The official should have caught it. But he had set it up to pull the fast one at the end. And I'm going to yeah. tell you now, as, as we are all talking today, one rule in football, you never surprise the officials. Hmm. You have a chance to tell them all this stuff in pregame. But if you surprise them, a lot of that's on you. So ultimately, is it on the official? Yes. But they pulled a fast one at the end. And check it out, because I do believe Dan Campbell finally came out and said, yes, we were trying to surprise them. Well, uh, and again, Big Charles. mistake on his part and a key part of the game. Big mistake. Yeah, and, and, and really quickly, Charles, why go for it again after yeah. the penalty? Why not just kick the extra point? I don't know. Kick, kick the extra point, get to overtime. And yeah. then throughout the game, the number of times going for it instead of taking the points. A lot of this stuff comes down to where it looks like it's one play, but it's really not. Yeah. But I really think that was one of those situations where they overthought the, the trick portion of it and put themselves in a position that hurt them because really that was their game to win. So I, I think it's one of those lessons learned. And I'll just tell you this. I talked to coaches after the, you know, the, over the weekend, you know what they all said? Oh, yeah, Dan was definitely trying to pull a fast one. <laughs> I mean, they all knew it. You did, and, and by the way, didn't need to. It's like the one time you said to Cowboy Dan, come on, man, you don't need to do that. You actually have a better team right now. So I think he's going to learn that lesson and move on. And, heck, they might have to get together with Dallas again. Charles, terrific stuff as usual. Thanks for this. Thanks, guys. You take care of yourself. There he is, Charles Davis, uh, courtesy of Tom's House of Pizza. Pizza made to perfection with locations in Calgary and Okotoks. Uh, straight ahead, we'll update you on what Canada is doing right now at the World Junior Hockey Championship, and we'll talk to the Cobra Big Show Flames analyst in studio next. It's the Big Show, Russick and Rose, Sportsnet 960, The Fan.